Welcome to Startup Europe, the Sifted podcast. I'm Eleanor, Sifted's deputy editor. And I'm Mimi, Sifted's Nordic correspondent, filling in for Amy, who's on holiday. And at Sifted, we report on Europe's tech and startup sector. And on this podcast, every week we take you inside the Sifted newsroom to discuss the biggest things our journalists have been reporting on and to speak to some of the people behind the headlines. So this week, we're going to hear about a couple of chunky fundraisers, one of a company making, well, vegan meat substitutes, and another for an AI startup helping build ChatGPT-style products for businesses. We'll also get some more details on the cut price sale of Hopin's virtual event technology, a company that was once valued at nearly $80 billion. And we're also going to be joined by our reporter Kai Nicole Schwartz, who's been reporting on Babylon Health, which was once one of the darlings of the UK's tech sector and now seems to have fallen on pretty hard times. And finally, Mimi will be speaking to the founder of Suryact, a Stuttgart-based startup that is using generative AI to help robots see things. But before, let's get into some news. We're going to start off with Hopin. So last week on the podcast, we covered how the business was selling off the virtual events platform that made it famous. But this week, we've got some more details on the sale. So Eleanor, Hopin's events tech has gone from being worth $7.8 billion in 2021 to how much today? Totally. So I think we're not... We got some more details on the sale of some of Hoppin's assets. So last week, Hoppin announced that it was selling its original events platform software to an American listed company called Ring Central. And this Monday, Ring Central announced their quarterly earnings and they talked about how much they actually had acquired those assets for. So this price is the price that they paid for those assets. So this is not a direct correlation to how much Hoppin itself is actually worth. And the Hopin business is for sure worth much more than this. Mm. There have been some kind of estimates or like media reports floating around there that the assets have been sold for several hundreds of millions of dollars. And this report that came out on Wednesday said that Ring Central had actually bought these assets for $15 million up front with an additional $35 million um, to be paid to Hopin dependent on performance. So obviously, If you look at what the company was once worth, right, and you compare it with that, that's not a lot of money. Not a lot at all. But a company selling off parts on themselves seems to be a trend in tech right now, right? Yeah, I think that now that the fundraising environment is a lot tougher, you're going to see companies like Hopin trying to double down on more core profitable parts of their business. And so if they can sell parts of their business um, in kind of strategic transactions like this, I think they'll look to do that. It's a great way to raise some cash, right? Um, and we'll get into a little bit more today, but we're actually seeing that happen with with Babylon Health right now, the UK company we mentioned at the top of this episode. They're shopping right now to find a buyer for their UK operations, which are their core operations, their original operations. Um, so yeah, I th- definitely think we'll see more of these transactions out there yeah but i must just say that this analysis on hopping uh, that was published earlier this week was a really great read and uh, with lots of different details and i would really say read it if you haven't thank you mimi and we've got a link to the article in the description as well if anyone would like to read that but now on to some fundraising This week, Dutch startup Meetable, which makes lab-grown meat, announced $35 million in new funding. This will be welcome news for fans of alternative meat products, as the sector has been surrounded by a bit of negative sentiment in recent months. Mimi, tell me what Meetable is going to be using the money for. Well, 
I mean, they will use this thirty-five million dollars to scale and accelerate the commercial launch of its sausage and pork dumpling products in Singapore next year. So we could ask, like, why Singapore? Well, Singapore and the U.S. are the only two countries where cultivated meat actually has been approved uh, for sale. So this race brings Meatable's total funding to like ninety-five million dollars after a forty-seven million Series A in March twenty twenty-one. And according to Dealroom data, it's the second best-funded cultivated meat company in Europe after another Dutch startup, Moza Meat, which many of you probably heard of as well, uh, which is working on beef products. But what exactly is cultivated meat, Mimi? I would say probably lab-grown meat, right? It's often called. It just doesn't require animals being slaughtered, right? So Meatable, for example, uses pig stem cells to make its products. And those stem cells are taken from the animal without actually causing it any harm. And the process replicates the traditional growth of a pig, but takes only like eight days. And that's 30 times faster than rearing a pig for pork on a farm, according to the company. And since like normal meat production is a big problem when it comes to emissions, it's perhaps not strange that live-grown meat has been hyped. By some estimates, cultivated meat saves potential land use and emissions over 90% in comparison to normal meat production. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that they said that they only needed one cell from an unharmed pig to make this meat. That's pretty crazy to yeah. me. Yeah. So I guess this could potentially be better for the planet, obviously, if this is able to be produced at scale. But... It's not quite affordable for most consumers yet, right? <laughs> no, for sure. But I, I mean, it's obviously more expensive. But if these companies can cut the cost of production, which Meatable says it's working on now with the new funding, I suppose also governments with a goal for lowering like emissions drastically could perhaps help the industry out a bit as well. Well, we'll see if that will happen. We'll see if they can actually cut the costs. But it's interesting, right? Because if you could cut the emissions so much, that would make a huge difference. I guess the other interesting thing about this company is that this is obviously a Dutch company, but they're going to sell in Singapore. And then I think they also said that after that, they have plans to launch in the US. And I think something that we've been hearing from all of these cultivated meat startups is how hard it is to operate in Europe, right? The EU food agency is known to take longer to approve new products. And there hasn't really been much clarity on what that's going to mean for these companies here in the EU. No, exactly. I mean, that's what people are saying, right? So even like Meatable says, it's going to take a couple of years probably for them to get the kind of approval here in the European Union. So in the Netherlands early this year, the Netherlands became the first EU country to allow pre-approval tastings of food grown directly from animal cells. And that was like an agreement with the Dutch government, Meatable and Moza Meat. I mean, that's probably why they're so keen, because they have two companies that are really working on this as well. Eleanor, would you try cultivated meat? I mean, even before it's like allowed in the cell in the EU? Yeah, totally. I would totally try it. I would love to try it. When I used to work for a VC firm, we had a lab-grown meat company in our portfolio, and I always really wanted to try it, but they were always very dingy for good reason about who they let try the meat, because at that time, this was like several years ago now, it was so expensive even to just have <laughs> one little thing. So any companies that want to invite me over to have a little tasting, I'm open. Well, that's exciting though. Like not even the investors get to try it. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't I wasn't also super high on the food chain in the company, so they're not just going to let some random lady. Just... <laughs> okay, cool. 
Yeah, and before we get into some interviews, we have another big race this week, Eleanor, and of course, it's an AI company. So tell us about DeepSet. They raised $30 million this week. Oh my gosh, another AI company, another day, another <laughs> AI company. This is a German company, which basically lets customers, and in their case, these are big corporate companies, tailor existing large language models. Those are models that are like OpenAI's GPT-3 or GPT-4 to use those for their own applications internally. So a great example of one of these is Airbus. So they worked with Airbus to develop a question answering application so that pilots can access aircraft operation guidelines from the cockpit. So instead of having to pull out a huge manual or like sift through all these manuals, they can actually just search and figure things out for themselves and get a quick answer. Okay. And DeepSet isn't just jumping on the bandwagon now, right? It's been doing this for some time, hasn't it? Yeah, so DeepSec was founded in 2018. Um, so yeah, compared to some other companies that have kind of exploded on the scene, it's been around for a while. And it's also interesting because it's an open source company. So they have this platform or product, let's call Haystack, and that basically lets developers put together a DIY LLR application using that. Um, so they can kind of pick and choose from different LLMs that they want to use to make their own application. And then... They also have a subscription-based SaaS product that sits on top of that, um, where they help companies develop and scale services. Mm. And unlike some of the other companies we've discussed on this podcast, like Mistral or Stability AI, it's not using tens of millions of dollars to build its own ChatGPT AI model, right? Totally, yeah. So, I mean, this raise was just $30 million, so tiny if you think about some of the races <laughs> that have been announced recently. But this is really because, as I explained to you before, it's letting people kind of pick and choose these pre-existing building blocks like Facebook's Llama, Google's BERTs, or OpenAI's GPT-4, or other technologies like some natural language processing tools. Um, so they're actually not making the things themselves. They're just kind of helping people bring those building blocks together to create applications. Mm. So it's got a bit of a head start on many of these other companies trying to sell ChatGPT for your business, right? Yeah, definitely. So they already have had a lot of commercial interest, according to the founder. And I guess there've already been a lot of use cases and applications that they've already helped big companies like Airbus develop. Um, so they actually already kind of have a lot of proof points, which some of these other companies, Mistral is a great case in point, literally some dudes with an idea and a document raising a lot of money. I would say that DeepSet is probably um, a little bit further along than those. Now we're joined by health tech reporter Kai Nichol Schwartz, who this week has been busy following dramatic developments at the UK scale-up Babylon Health, the company that lets users book virtual GP appointments on the UK's National Health Service. The company has been struggling since going public via a SPAC, a special purpose acquisition company in New York in 2021. For those of you who are not familiar with that, this is when a company that's already listed, that's usually been created by investors for the purpose of taking a private company public, buys this private company and takes it public. And since then, its share price fell 99%. So in order to stay afloat, it was looking for a way to go private. And it looked like it had found a buyer, a Swiss scale up, but now it seems like that deal has fallen through. Kai, what does what's happened? And what does this mean for Babylon? So after a year and a half of Babylon really struggling 
on the on the stock exchange. It went through various extra funding rounds. It consolidated shares to to stay afloat. It announced in May that its debt funder, Albacore Capital, was restructuring and recapitalizing the business. And this basically meant that shareholders' stakes were getting wiped and Albacore Capital would be able to do anything that it wanted with the business, really, to try and reclaim some of its roughly $250 million in debt funding that it had provided to Babylon. About a month ago, it announced that a deal had been made with Swiss digital therapeutics unicorn MindMaze, which came as a bit of a surprise to a lot of people. The company MindMaze hasn't got a massive public profile. It wasn't massively clear whereabouts Babylon would would fit into MindMaze's business. But that was announced that the deal was made. Babylon would form a new entity with MindMaze. Ali Parsa and the senior leadership team would stay on. Then, at the beginning of this week, Babylon released a press release announcing that the deal had collapsed. So Babylon have now exited the the US business. They're looking to hand back the contracts to the insurance providers that they took them out with. Most US employees have been let go and most patient relationships, patient clinician relationships in the US have also been terminated. Babylon has said that they're safely transitioning those patients onto other providers. Now in the UK, everything's still up for grabs really. Babylon is now scrambling to find a buyer for its UK business. Now this isn't a big business anymore. The UK business made up about 4% of Babylon's total revenues for 2022. So it's a really, really small proportion of the business. But what it's got to sell are contracts with Booper that gives access to about 2 million Booper users in the UK to Babylon's digital platform. A contract with the NHS, which provides people with GP care. That's about 100,000 people. So it's got those two contracts to sell. And it's also got its tech stack, its proprietary tech stack, which powers things like decision-making tools for clinicians, symptoms checker, and a chatbot. So those are the those are the three pieces of the UK business that it is trying to sell now. Okay, so what options does the company have now, Kai, or who might buy the UK thing? Like what are what's kind of the word on the on the street? Well, a number of names are being talked about at the moment. So private healthcare providers are one of the groups that could step up and by Babylon. They've got deep enough pockets um, and Booper especially, which already has a running contract with with Babylon, could see real value in it. It could incorporate Babylon's tech stack into its own platform, which for a, an incumbent that doesn't have a particularly like tech savvy backbone could be could be a really good idea. Then you've got a number of scale-ups who also could fancy a piece of the action. Stockholm-based telehealth company Cree told Sifted recently that the UK was one of their core markets. They could well look to double down in the UK by adding an extra 100,000 NHS patients to, to their roster and incorporating Babylon's tech stack into their offering. Um, now, Cree have said that they're currently not considering the offer and considering the, the major refocus that they went through in 2022, shifting the business from growth to profitability. They sound like a bit of an outlier right now. You've also got Health Hero, 
which is a UK-based telemedicine company, which whole business has been acquiring others over the past few years since launching in 2019. They've acquired seven companies, the last being in 2021, but they could well be interested in snapping up another one with a reputation like Babylon's for a bargain price. You've also got Sira, which is an at-home hospital care platform, which raised one of the UK's or one of Europe's biggest digital health rounds of 2022. Last August, it picked up at 130 million in equity and another 130 million in debt. So they've definitely got the pockets for this too. Whether or not they'd want to expand into telehealth remains to be seen, but that's that's another company that could be could be up for it. So how big were these contracts? I mean, we've been talking about the pockets here, but how much would these contracts yeah. actually go for? How much would these parts of Babylon actually be worth if you had, if they could buy them today? And how much would Albacore be okay to you know let them go for? Do you think? Well, in in twenty twenty two, according to Babylon's financial accounts, um, the Bupa and the NHS contract brought in about forty one million in revenue. The, the tech stack itself, it's, it's really difficult to put a value on the tech stack because, um, because it totally depends on the company that's buying it. You know, if you're a booper and you don't necessarily have an offering that's underpinned with a really savvy, savvy tech platform, buying Babylon's could be worth quite a lot of money. It could be a really valuable asset. But if you have someone like a Cree or a Sierra, um, which are companies that have been built with a tech backbone, it could be less valuable. So what do you think is like the, the, big picture here then i mean how does babylon like differ from these other kind of telehealth medicine companies and what's to say that they wouldn't go the same ways is is it because of the you know the public market or what what do you think well i think the the situation at babylon is is probably more reflective of the overall picture in tech than it is the the telehealth market. You know, we've got a company like Babylon, which raised more than 600 million from investors before before the the botched SPAC deal. It was like lauded as a tech darling and it went public and it 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 listed just as the public markets entirely fell off a cliff. You know, like it's it's not the only company that's seen its tech stocks plummet, although it's one of the companies that's seen its tech stocks plummet the most. And it was always a case of, you know, Babylon was probably a business that could have succeeded had the boom times lasted. You know, its value-based care model in the US was all about getting critical mass of patients to make it financially viable, like it to make it cheaper to serve those patients. And it was just never able to to hit those numbers because funding dried up, because the global funding scene dried up. Well, interesting. And I suppose, Kai, you will continue to report on this and what's next with Aliparsa, etc. I mean, this is like a a continuing saga that never seems to end, right? That's it. That's it. Um, Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens. And finally, we're joined by Ralph Gulder, CEO and co-founder of Ceract, a company that builds AI-powered software for warehouse robots. Ceract raised a 5 million seed round this week, led by Point9 and Air Street Capital, with the purpose to scale up its technology that lets robots plan tasks and autonomously see and move objects around. So Ralph, welcome to the show. Hey there, yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. And 
then first off, so why do we need better warehouse robots? One of the greatest challenges our society currently faces is the demographic change. So it's kind of the vanishing workforce. And uh, especially for uh, quite monotonous and simple jobs, it's really hard. Or like also non-ergonomic jobs that are not the best job. Uh, it's really hard for our customers, for warehouse operators, for warehouse companies to find sufficient workforce. So therefore, our AI robotics technology helps these companies to overcome these problems and uh, yeah, be productive and uh, be competitive. So is that also the financial incentive for investing in this technology, you would say? Absolutely. Uh, kind of by decreasing the reliance on manual labor, these companies uh, can serve their customers better by delivering faster, having better quality, and also, of course, be uh, more cost-effective at the end of the day. Yeah. So how does your AI system allow these machines to do what they could not do before? Yeah, so our core technology basically relies on simulation to reality. That means uh, we developed in-house a photorealistic and physics-accelerated uh, simulation environment. Sounds complicated, but it's super easy. Imagine you have a simulation environment where robots can train millions and millions of pics or also more complex uh, manipulation, robotic manipulation scenarios, and leverage that experience to be more capable in the real world and also solve uh, yeah, complex scenarios. Yeah, so what does this pick and pack actually mean? Yeah, basically, pick and pack means um, um, taking an item maybe out of, a, out of a tote that is delivered by an automated storage and retrieval system, and then just packing it into uh, a parcel so that the item can be fulfilled and sent to the customer. This process um, is something that was very challenging for robots to that day because of the huge variety of different items and different SKUs. So this is kind of what we do and what we just currently introduced is also uh, enhancing our technology with chat GPT-like models, uh, with large language models. But I think this is something we're talking a bit about. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. So, and what would make the difference then if you can, you know, include ChatGPT models as well? Yeah, I mean, every, I think everyone experienced the impact of chat GPT-like models uh, of our society because it's like these models now can output human-like writing or uh, significantly increase our productivity in an everyday life we don't google anymore we use a uh, chat gpt so this is really mind-blowing and especially kind of the capability of this model of having underlying intelligence of reasoning to solve a problem is really really mind-blowing and especially the capability of zero-shot learning enhance the output without needing to be pre-trained is, is really impressive and we, we we use this technology um, and add it into our ai models to have bigger and more advanced models. And at the end of the day, these models are trained on a huge amount of data, multi-model data, not only vision data, but also uh, internet scale web uh, data sets. And that makes these models have a better scene understanding, can yeah, make better decisions and uh, have a higher level of underlying intelligence. And it's really, really impressive. Great, great time to, to work on these kind of technologies. Yeah, so they will always, well, they will get better over time then as well, I suppose. Absolutely, yeah. Also kind of the capability of learning and having chains of thoughts is re really something that uh, is uh, enhanced greatly with these kind of technologies. And how is this going with clients? Uh, who is using the technology already and what is next after this round of funding? 
We unveiled this technology um, a couple of months ago on a trade fair called Logima. That's one of Europe's biggest logistics fair. And like the, the reaction of visitors was really just it was amazing. People were writing Twitter or like X uh, tweets uh, or LinkedIn uh, posts about this technology. And especially seeing people experiment with that technology was really amazing. So now we are starting to implement this in, into warehouses and see the first uh, results of it. And of course, we want to further enhance these technologies to enable new use case or like to that day unsolved uh, uh, use cases, especially in the logistics. One of these use cases is for, for sure return handling. It's really a complicated case. And we see, especially in Europe, that politics forbids now to destroy returns. And it's, I think it's a really a terrible thing that companies are destroying returned items. Yeah, it's not very climate friendly, right? No, no not at all. It's, it's terrible. So we need to make this process cost effective so that it's better for companies to restock returned items and then ship them again to customers and therefore AI robotics technology and especially our technology called PixGPT will help solve this cost because one of the biggest challenges here is to have a glance at the item is, is, is it defect is it broken somehow or also distinguish uh, in between packaging material and uh, the returned item which is really challenging because customers tend to include crazy stuff in, into the, the returned uh, package like old newspapers and uh, and so forth <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, well, it's a very good user case. Uh, and with that, thank you so much, Ralph, for joining us on uh, the Sifted podcast. And uh, I hope you have a nice day and good luck. Likewise. Thanks for having me. And yeah, ha have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. So that's all we have time for today. If you want to hear more about what's unfolding in the world of European tech and startups, you can find all of our coverage on sifted.eu and find all of the articles mentioned in this episode in the podcast description. Where else can people follow us, Mimi? Well, they can, uh, you know, sign up for our newsletters and also sign up, for, well, follow us on Twitter, obviously. And let us know what you think of the Sifted podcast on Twitter or email hello at sifted.eu and join us next week. Thanks for being my co-host this week, Mimi. Thanks, Eleanor. It's been great. Bye. Bye. So that's all we have time for today. If you want to hear more about what's unfolding in the world of European tech and startups, you can find all of our coverage on sifted.eu and find all of the articles mentioned in this episode in the podcast description. Where else can people follow us, Mimi? Well, they can uh, you know, sign up for our newsletters and follow us on Twitter, obviously. And let us know what you think of the Sifted podcast on Twitter or email hello at sifted.eu and join us next week. Thanks for being my co-host this week, Mimi. Thanks, Eleanor. It's been great. Bye. Bye.